Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Welcome to the Billboard Charpy Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts. And hey guys, I'm Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. And back from England, Trevor. <laughs> I ended up going uh, on the 4th of July, so spending my 4th of July in, of all places, Great Britain. I guess we can jump into a little music topic as well. Um, most of the stuff over there, I did some intel, I guess you could say. Most of the things that are, you know, I mean, it's always been a pretty equitable relationship between the US and the UK. So, you know, your Drake's and Rihanna's, and of course they're... Adele, Ed Sheeran, you know, their natives are always popular. Um, for sure, one thing that everyone was talking about, at least everyone who I talked to, which was mostly the, the 20-somethings, <laughs> um, the biggest thing that, that is a thing there that is not a thing here is that grime scene has been exploding. Um, they were talking about, in particular, Stormzy um, is probably the biggest act over there that has not made it over here. I mean, obviously, Adele and Sheeran and the UK natives are huge everywhere. But he was one in particular everyone was pointing out as the guy who, like, was blowing up. I think his album debuted at number one back on the UK charts not too long ago and, like, broke the first week's streaming record. So he was huge. And uh, Skepta as well, doing pretty well. So Now you're back to just the grime of New York City. Uh, tr- you know, when I got on the subway for the first time after, it was like, it was like, what is, oh, <laughs> no. Nah. All right. Well, welcome back, uh, Trevor. Back to the podcast. The last couple of weeks while you were away, we taped ahead of time uh, two special uh, shows. We did countdowns, uh, 1997 and 2007. I-, I thought they were really fun. Got some nice response on, on Twitter, uh, counting on the Hot 100's top 40 uh, 20 and 10 years ago. I think we're going to do more of these. We had fun. People seem to like it. So I think we'll find some other weeks we can uh, do retro countdowns for. Yeah, I was kind of worried that some people might thought think it was a little, little long, but it didn't seem like anybody... Uh... You know, made 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 a note of that, which is which is always great for us. What's well, the trick um, of a countdown? You have to listen till you get to number one, so you're you're kind of locked in. Doesn't matter how long it is. We got you. We got you hooked. So uh, yeah, we'll be looking at other years in the '90s, 2000s. Maybe we'll do an '80s uh, year at some point coming up. So uh, hopefully, more of those uh, on the way. Uh, this week we are looking at the top ten of the current Billboard Hot 100 here in 2017. 
Uh, Despacito scores a 10th week at number one. We're going to get into that and whether we think it could uh, tie or break the record for most weeks at number one all time which is 16, so it's 10 weeks uh, right now. Gary, you always get the lambs nervous when you bring this this conversation up. You know they... I'm a lamb myself, but we'll dig into uh, mathematically whether it, it seems like it could be a possibility. So uh, we'll talk about that. We will also, in our industry insider interview, uh, bring back uh, Dave and Yal Penn of Hit Songs Deconstructed. We're going to break down uh, the uh, songwriting and production elements that have made Sam Hunt's Body Like a Backroad such a big hit. So that's on the way, and we'll flash all the way back to... 1990. All right. And uh, speaking of Sam Hunt, here's this week's top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Number 10. Number nine. Number eight. Number seven. Number six. Number four. And number one for a 10th week, bringing us out of the countdown, Despacito, Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee, featuring the one, the only Justin Bieber. And this week, it, of course, crosses the double-digit mark, so becoming one of only 35 songs in Hot 100 history. That's more than a 1,000 number one songs, like a little over 3% have lasted this long. And, of course, as we get to the 10-week mark, you always see a little, you know, some ears start to perk up, especially on Twitter. Some folks starting to, to get some chatter going in, in, in Twitter and some of these forums. Can the song get to that magic number of 16 and tie the current record, which is Mariah Carey and Boyz to Men, One Sweet Day? So more than halfway there. You know, yeah. obviously, if you've done 10 weeks, six weeks is 
you know, is is possibly there for the taking as well. Mariah's a chart fan, so she might even be getting a little nervous herself. You think? It's like, possible. She knows the charts pretty well. It's always maybe she's you know streaming wild thoughts this week like <laughs> like nobody's business. But um, but yeah. So of course, as people you know will start to sort of chatter about that, and obviously the song is you know, of course, to be two weeks number one, you got to be massive hit, doing very well in the summer. Could it potentially make a run for for? No song has even done more than 14 besides right. One Sweet Day. So can we get to 15? And, of course, if we get to 15, then could it get to 16? Right. So we always uh, we get to these 10-week uh, points, and we think, well, obviously it's it's in the running. It's in the conversation because it's, it's already that far. But uh, we thought we'd look a little bit deeper into the numbers and see if we can come up with some math to actually show – does Despacito really, you know, truly have a chance, uh, as it looks now, 10 weeks in at number one, to be the all-time longest-running number one Hot 100 hit? So what we did is uh, looked at the uh, difference in points on the Hot 100. We take all the sales and streaming and airplay for the week. There's a formula. We add up all the points. So we thought we'd look at when each song of the last uh, batch of 10-week-plus number one songs uh, were number one in their 10th week to see how big a lead they had to predict would have enough staying power to make it to 16 weeks. So uh, starting with Despacito this week, because we've been saying this on Facebook Live, if you've seen that, it it has a, still a pretty big lead at number one over Wild Thoughts. This week at number two, uh, if you look at the points, it's a 1.65 to one ratio of being number one. So a little more than one and a half. Gary's feeding the forums with these points. Uh, I'm finding a way to yeah. suck all the fun out of music, but putting as many numbers. No, I'm telling you, there's probably like some, there's probably people who are going to be like, Gary said it has 1.65, so like historically, yeah, yeah. we're putting it out yeah. there. So a one six five to one, it, it, decent size lead. Yeah, so more, I mean, more than one and a half, obviously, right. which is which is key. So uh, let's look at uh, recent uh, ten week plus number ones to see how close they were in their tenth week, because as it wasn't that long ago, Shape of You got its tenth week, and we were probably having a similar conversation. Could it? be number one for the record uh it got to 12 weeks but in its 10th week its lead over number two that week was 1.37 to one so this week it's 1.65 when shape of view is in its 10th week it was 1.37 to number one so even i am no math expert but that means that this week despacito has a much bigger lead over number two in its 10th week than shape of you had in its 10th week so you with me so far trevor one math problem in so far Gary, I have a college degree. I can follow this. So uh, Closer was the previous 10-week number one before Shape of You. Got 12 weeks at number one. In its 10th week, it had a 1.25 to one lead. So that's even smaller than Shape of You. So, so far, Despacito clearly has a bigger lead than both of those songs. All right, before that, uh, also last year, One Dance by Drake. So now it really becomes more obvious. It had a 1.08 to one lead in its 10th week at number one. So it was barely number one in its 10th week. So at that point, it was probably a little more clear that it most likely wasn't going to get to 16 weeks. It actually only got to 10 weeks. That was its last week at number one. Yeah. Right before that, uh, hello, Adele, same thing, 1.08 to 1, and also stopped after 10 weeks. And it's it had sold all the copies it could sell. Uh, a song that is in the news this week, the most viewed YouTube uh, video of all time. Is it YouTube video or music video or, or both? See you again. Both. Popular Cat day. video with three billion views? Absolutely not. I hope not. God, no. I would. I would. Yeah, you. I, I would, yes, I would you. Watch. Yes, you. Would. Uh, see you again in its tenth week. Had a one point one four to one lead over number two. It got to twelve weeks. So again, just a little bit more. One point one four to one. Not not super huge. 
Uh, before that, earlier in 2015, this one was bigger. Uh, Uptown Funk in its 10th week was 1.33 to 1, and that got to 14 weeks. So that's as close as we've come uh, in recent years to knocking off the record. It's tied uh, with some other songs at 14 weeks at number one. So in its 10th week, it was 1.33, would get another four weeks at number one. And right now, Despacito has an even bigger lead than that over number two in its 10th week. And then uh, 2014, there was one uh, 10-week number one, Happy Pharrell Williams in its 10th week, smallest uh, number we've seen yet, 1.05 to one. So just a very small lead over number two in its 10th week. And that was its final week at number one. Before that, we go back to 2013. This is where we see uh, the biggest lead, a bigger lead than what Despacito has now in its 10th week, Blurred Lines, Song of the Summer, 2013. It was in its 10th week at number one, had a uh, just slightly more than a two to one points lead, uh, 2.03 to one in its 10th week. Only got to 12 weeks at number one, though. But that's uh, we the first time we see here an instance going back of a song having a bigger lead at number one in its 10th week than what Despacito has now. But again, couldn't get to 16 weeks, got to 12 weeks. And why would that be? That's where it plays in to what else is on the chart. The week it was in its 10th week, Katy Perry's Roar roared to number two from number 85, spent another week at number two after that, then finally was number one. So it was a song that was coming up behind Blurred Lines with all the uh, anticipation of a new Katy Perry album and single at the time that uh, completely uh, came out and kind of nowhere and knocked off Blurred Lines, even though it had such a big lead at number one, took a couple more weeks, and then it was done. Yeah, and, and that, of course, was the first song, really, that Katie had released after the whole Teenage Dream era. So, yeah, I mean, there probably will be no bigger moment for a Katy Perry single than, than that one. I mean, that had to be, that was hyped. I remember even just the Twitter reveal and everything was it was a big deal. And, um, yeah, Katie took, Katie took over, back to her favorite spot, number one. So uh, the lesson from, from all that math is that uh, Despacito has the biggest lead since Blurred Lines, uh, but that only got to 12 weeks. So it has a big lead, but it kind of maybe at this point means we need another song to come along like Roar did uh, four years ago. Something brand new to come along and uh, just knock out uh, Despacito. Back then it was Katy Perry. We, we always keep saying that it's been a while since Taylor Swift has had a new song out, new album. So what do you think, Trevor? Does something need to come along like that with that kind of that kind of buzz? Oh, perhaps you know. I mean, I, I mean, it seems like I guess a safer bet. I mean, it could be one of those things, of course, where kind of like what we saw with Shape of You and Bruno Mars, like the point gap kind of slows down for a little bit, and right. at some point, it you know, Wild Thoughts would be the logical choice to take over. Whether or not that comes soon enough, right? You know, well, is this the week, thing. this week, Despacito is down a tiny bit in overall points. So is Wild Thoughts. So even though uh, uh, Despacito is starting to come down a little bit in points, it's still number one in every metric. Uh, we are starting to see it's uh, starting to fall in airplay. Uh, it's still number. It just got to number one on radio songs, the overall radio chart. Although it lost some audience this week, so it may and, start. And to, Wild Thoughts is coming into right, the top ten right. quick. So it may start to erode, but. Uh, the pun on the title slowly so we'll see we'll see what happens you can groan at that i ooh, yeah uh, the other thing to look at is um went back and looked at one sweet day because that's the only song that's gone to uh 16 weeks at number one when it was in its 10th week it was actually a slightly smaller lead over number two than what despacito has this week in its 10th week it was a 1.57 to one lead over number two which was whitney houston's exhale that week and then got another six weeks at number one yeah 
All right, so uh, that's all we can do for now is uh, try to look uh, six weeks ahead with some of the numbers to maybe give us a little more uh, clarity. But well, it's also not, you know, let's, let's not, I guess, oversell it. I mean, obviously, there have been almost 30 songs who have that have hit the 10-week the mark um, since Once We Day has hit 16, and all of them have stumbled somewhere between 10 and 14 weeks. So obviously, of course, you know, not saying this is going to happen, but many, many have tried and none have succeeded. Um, does it feel weird to you that One Sweet Day is the 16-week song? Like, I guess most people would think it'd be something a little, like, more... Something that's, like, I guess survived in the pop culture yeah, I, I realm guess if, a little right. better than One Sweet Day? I, I guess if you didn't... I'm sure most people wouldn't even think that's Mariah's biggest song. People might think Dream Lover or maybe even A Hero or Fantasy or Vision of Love. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was, it was perfect timing. She had built up such a big fan base after five years. Boys to Men were the biggest... R&B group at the time. She yeah. was the biggest pop star. It was just perfect timing and, and a great song. Also, shout out. Mm, shout, <laughs> great song. Shout out to a uh, shout out to boys to men because they, they, I don't think people quite understand. Obviously not to knock Mariah Carey because obviously she's half the record, you know, herself. But I think Mariah kind of always gets a little bit of the shine more than boys to men do. And boys to men, it was a small window maybe of, you know, their, their huge heyday, but it was, it was like a powerful window. Oh yeah. Um, three separate times they have the longest running number one Hot 100 song. I mean, Into the Road came along in '92, spent 13 weeks at number one. That had beaten the previous Hot 100 records um, by Debbie Boone and Olivia Newton-John. Right. Some people even want to go back and say it was the rock era overall. If you knock some of those Elvis Presley records from before, so no song had even come close to that '92. Whitney Houston comes along like a month later, starts I Will Always Love You. That gets to 14 weeks. A couple years later in 94, Boys to Men say, ah, 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 we want that back. I'll Make Love to You, uh, the single, the first single from their sophomore album, 14 weeks at number one. So they tie Whitney, get that record back. And then, of course, One Sweet Day comes along um, barely, you know, a year and a half later. And they've got that record that they still have today, 16 weeks. So... I mean, shout out to boys for, for getting that trifecta because I don't think anybody, you know, really understands like that. And that really was encapsulates a, yeah, how it, big Boys to Men right. was in that moment. I mean, I, I guess if they're still sitting on, you know, those piles of cash, can't be, can't be too upset with them. All right. So we'll see what happens uh, with all of that. Again, uh, we heard uh, kicking off the top 10 of this week's Hot 100, Sam Hunt's Body Like a Backroad, uh, back in the top 10 as of last week. Uh, been number one now on Hot Country Songs for 23 weeks. Next week, if it's number one again, and it looks like it really has a chance to be number one, that has a huge lead over the number two song on Hot Country Songs. It would tie uh, next week, Cruise by Florida Georgia Line. Most weeks, all time, number one on Hot Country Songs. So absolute smash, Sam Hunt. Let's find out more about the song, why it's become such a hit uh, on many different levels, from uh, the way it was uh, uh, written, the way it was produced. We have uh, Dave and Yal Penn back from Hit Songs Deconstructed. We've had them on uh, here recently, talked about Ed Sheeran, uh, talked about uh, Closer, uh, Chainsmokers. So uh, they're back again to talk all things Body Like a Backroad. Sam Hunt on the Billboard Chartbeat Podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Our favorite married team of songwriting analysts. I don't know how many are. Are there other? Married teams of songwriting analysts? Not that I know of. Right, even if there were. <laughs> they're still the best. They'd still yeah. be our favorite. Uh, songwriting and production. Every, everything you guys do. Dave Penn and Yael Penn, welcome back. Hello, Thank Gary, you. Trevor. Great to be back. Great to be back. So we're talking uh, Body Like a Back Road, Sam yeah. Hunt, because it's been so huge on the charts. So uh, already set the record for longest running number one hit on the Hot Country Songs chart yeah. ever by a solo artist. And it's uh, crossed over to pop. And that's what's been uh, driving it as well. It's success. It started a country, but it's become such a pop hit. And we're going to talk about uh, the song itself, Dave. And uh, I'm guessing uh, there are uh, elements of the song that uh, you're going to find that make it uh, make so much sense why it's worked in both audiences. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, if you look look at the country songs chart i mean you have songs like star of the show god your mama and me which is florida georgia line and the backstreet boys and the fighter which is keith urban and carrie underwood so all these songs possess mainstream pop elements right but body like a back road really takes it to the next level yeah, the fighter too you mentioned that that's um, so that's, that's like an 80s pop song really. yeah exactly exactly so yeah there are all these like 80s kind of qualities but really overtly pop qualities and but body like a back road is more contemporary mainstream pop, you know, with hip-hop elements and R&B elements and trap elements and all this, and mainstream pop song structure as well. So what I thought is we should go through the song, right? see how it all comes together. So it clocks in at just two minutes and 40 seconds, and this is extremely short by mainstream standards. And just to put this into perspective, since 2015... Only nine of the 131 songs that landed in the top 10 of the Hot 100 clocked in at under three minutes in length, uh, six of which feature a hip-hop or R&B influence, which Body Like a Back Road does. It was actually the third shortest song behind Juju on That Beat and Nasty Freestyle, which clock in at 224 and 222 respectively. So you really don't see too many songs clocking in at under three minutes. It's almost like that, you know, James Patterson, the author, it's almost like his Bookshot series, where these short books that just keep you engaged the whole way, right. and remove all the filler and just get to the meat of it. Two it, minutes, 40 seconds, yeah. a body like a back road. So. It, 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 it's, it's like writing, like, like it's harder to make your point in, in less time than more. You, you really have to... Yeah, you got to make sure everything's just primed for maximum impact. Right. And that's Body Like a Back Road. And those other two songs, you know, were kind of these viral sensations that yes, just kind exactly. of you know, came out of nowhere. But for this to be, you know, in a studio produced sort of gone out as a pop song, that, that makes it that much crazier. Absolutely. It's just country enough to succeed on the country charts and just pop enough to cross over. So um, let's begin with the intro. And... An intro was the most popular way to kick off a top 10 hit, and in Q2, 96% of songs began with an intro. And clocking in at only 12 seconds in length, it's in line with the most popular intro-length range in the top 10, which is between 10 and 19 seconds. (laughs) 
So in this relatively short amount of time, the song's main instrumental hook grabs the listener's attention and hooks them in, the light, jovial vibe of the song is established, and the combination of both country and mainstream pop elements becomes apparent. So on the mainstream pop end of the spectrum, there's a synth effect and snaps. And for those who've been listening to Top 40 radio recently, they might have noticed that snaps, along with claps, have been quite popular. Right. Some notable examples are I'm the One, Stay, and That's What I Like. Another one. DJ Khaled. Yeah, you're looking at the truth, the money never lies. Get on your own, but we don't have to grow up. We can stay forever young. So by featuring prominent snaps, Body Like a Backroad fits in more with current mainstream pop trends. And on the country end of the spectrum, there's the main guitar hook, as well as the organ, which enters towards the end of the section. And the other element in the section is the background vocal chatter, which provides the effect of being in a bar or a party setting. And here's a little trivia. So there was another chart-topping Hot 100 hit back in 2013 that featured a country influence in addition to dance and pop that also contained background vocal chatter and established the main instrumental hook in the intro. Any guesses? Okay. Is, did you guess, Gary? No. I was hoping you would guess. Uh, I'm gonna, it has, no peeking. That has uh, background chatter. Um Okay, is it like is it a normal song or is it like it's not it's not it's not it's not, it's not like Harlem Shake that could be a or anything, home new is it? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it's not Harlem Shake. Um, okay, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say blurred lines. Nope. No, it's not blurred lines. Ready? Wait, no. Okay, one more. Um, okay. Twenty thirteen. Country. A little bit of a hoedown kind of vibe. Oh oh my god. Oh, oh my god. I think I think Trevor's I think I have coming. a guess. Okay, it's gotta have country, like a hoedown influence. Yeah, yeah. It's gotta be timber. <laughs> Woo! Forgot about Tim. Oh, yeah. It's going down. Good going, Trevor. I went to be about three or four, but, but I got, got it. there. You got it. Nice. All right, so following the intro, the song heads into the first verse. Lyrically, it sets the scene, and it lays the foundation of the song, being that the protagonist is very attracted to a certain girl, and they have a long history together, which is cleverly conveyed by the lyrics, Now me and her go way back like Cadillac seats. But what's interesting is that the only mention of her physical looks pertains to the braids in her hair, not her curvy back road features, which is the focal point of the song. Got a girl from the south side, got braids in her hair. First time I've seen her walk by, and I about fell up on my chair. Had to get her number, and it took me like six weeks. Now me and her go way back. Now, vocally, each line consists of two phrases, which are segmented from one another by a brief rest. The first phrase on each line possesses melodic commonalities to one another, and the same is the case with the second phrase on each line as well. And together, the melodic structure provides the section with a very engaging and memorable flow. Now, in regard to the accompaniment, the first half of the verse is very similar to the intro minus the instrumental hook, and this provides continuity between sections. But in the second half of the section, a kick drum and sub bass are introduced along with an 808-style electronic clap roll. So not only do these new elements provide engaging contrast and kick up the energy level relative to the first half, 
but they also provide the section with an underlying hip-hop and trap influence. Now, these influences further set Body Like a Back Road apart from many other country hits, while at the same time further priming it to cross over into mainstream pop. So, for example, in Q2, when Body Like a Back Road entered the top 10 of the Hot 100, a little over half of top 10 hits featured some degree of a hip-hop and trap influence either within or outside of the hip-hop primary genre. A couple of examples outside of the hip-hop genre are Don't Want to Live Forever and That's What I Like. So let's take one more listen to the verse to hear how it all comes together. Got a girl from the south side, got brazen hair. First time I seen her walk by, and I about fell up on my chair. Had to get her number, it took me like six weeks. Now me and her go way back, like Cadillac seats, body like a all right, so following the verse, and 31 seconds into the song, we get to the first chorus. And it hits on the earlier end of the spectrum compared to the majority of songs that were in the top 10 of the Hot 100 in Q2. The average amount of time that it took for those songs to get to the chorus was 50 seconds, so quite a bit longer. Now, one of the reasons why its chorus hits relatively early is because it doesn't contain a pre-chorus section in its framework. Instead, it just goes directly from the verse into the chorus, which was the case with a little over half of Q2's hits. Body like a back road, driving with my eyes closed. I know every curve like the back of my hand. Do 15 in 30. I ain't in no hurry. I'm going to take it slow just as fast as I can. Lyrically, the chorus provides the summation of the narrative on the very first line by detailing what made the protagonist bout fall up out of his chair, as depicted in the first verse. And that's his girl's curvy features, which are cleverly communicated through the analogy of having a body like a back road. And the rest of the section details his familiarity and his appreciation of her curves uh, through additional road and driving references, such as I know every curve, like the back of my hand, and doing 15 and a 30, I ain't in no hurry. So this communicates a very popular lyrical theme in a fresh and engaging manner. And vocally, it adheres more to the kiss me principle than the verse, which is keep it simple, singable, and memorable. And this is primarily due to simpler rhythms and the greater use of repetition. And what's really clever is that each stanza concludes in the same manner as the main instrumental hook, and this further reinforces the melody in the listener's head. Now, in another interesting thing is that when I first heard this chorus, I knew that I heard a similar melody somewhere before but I just couldn't place it. But then it finally came to me. So let's do some more trivia. The vocal melody in Body Like a Backroads Chorus bears a strong resemblance to the chorus of a hip-hop, R&B, and pop influence hit that peaked at number four in the Hot 100 back in 2016, and Gary's raising his hand, and the answer is... I actually got one of these. My house, Florida. Yes, yes, yes. Congratulations. Gary's been on that for a while. <laughs> Welcome to my house, baby, take control now. We can't even slow down. Body like a back road, driving with my eyes closed. I know every curve like the back of my head. Now, Body Like a Backroads Chorus 
also contains some background shouted haze, which have been a very popular element in songs that contain a hip-hop influence over the last few years. And guess what other 2016 hit also contains background hay shouts? Uh, Gary? Every one of them? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm just so many. It's got to be. Well, here it is. While we're on the topic of My House, there are two other non-chorus commonalities that it shares with Body Like a Back Road, and that's establishing one of its instrumental hooks in the intro and also featuring prominent snaps in the mix. Open up the champagne, pop! It's my house, come on! If you notice, the tempo is almost the same as yeah. well. Right. So, uh, my house is 94 beats per minute, and Body Like a Back Road is 99. So, pretty close. So, getting back to Body Like a Back Road's chorus, the accompaniment possesses a similar two part structure as the verse, which heightens familiarity and memorability within the song. The first half omits the sub bass and kick, and then they're reintroduced in the second half of the section, just as they are in the verse. Additionally, there's also some pedal steel guitar at the beginning of the section, as well as low-level electric piano. And together, they pro- uh, provide the section with a bit more of a country influence. So let's take a listen to the chorus one more time. Body like a back road, driving with my eyes closed. I know every curve like the back of my hand. Do 15 in 30, I ain't in no Alright, so following the chorus, the song heads into the second verse. Lyrically, it advances the narrative compared to the first verse by focusing exclusively on the protagonist's fascination with his girl's curves and his desire to physically appreciate them. And this contrasts with the first verse, which doesn't provide insight into what the protagonist finds so appealing about her, except for her hair. Now, vocally, the second verse is very similar to the first verse, which heightens memorability. But the accompaniment is quite different. It's more powerful and driving than the first verse, as well as compared to the preceding chorus. And it takes the energy level of the song to its first apex. And what's interesting is that this is actually somewhat of an anomaly in the top 10 of the Hot 100. Most songs will have an energy level peak in the chorus or the post-chorus, and then bring things back down in the second verse from where the energy will start to build once again. But that's not what happens here. And one other thing about the verse two accompaniment compared to verse one is that it's more countrified. And this is due to the addition of the electric guitar, pedal steel guitar, and organ riffs throughout the section. It's a little more country and a little bit more of a driving feel there. So now we get to the second chorus, which brings the energy level of the song back down following the driving verse. And compared to the first chorus, its characteristics are almost the same, 
except that there's a bit more organ in the mix. So the similarities result in the chorus getting, you know, further ingrained in the listener's head in a relatively unadulterated manner. Body like a back road, driving with my eyes closed. I know every curve like the back of my hand. Doing 15 and 30, I ain't in no hurry. I'm gonna take it slow, just as fast as I can. Next up is the instrumental break, and there are two key characteristics worth noting. It features the core accompaniment from the powerful and driving verse 2 section, which kicks up the energy and the excitement level, and it reintroduces the guitar hook that made its first appearance in the intro, both in a similar and changed-up manner. So while the melody is the same, which further reinforces the hook in the listener's head, it's now delivered by an overdriven guitar, which helps to keep it sounding fresh in the scope of the song. And now we get to the bridge, which provides a pronounced accompaniment and lyrical departure compared to the other sections in the song. So lyrically, it depicts a specific hookup encounter between the protagonist and his girl, and the impact of the encounter is accentuated by the effective use of imagery and detail, such as out here in the boondocks, with the breeze and the birds, and tangled up in the tall grass, with my lips on hers. So this detail really helps to further engross the listener within the narrative. And the accompaniment also accentuates the impact of the hookup due to its sparser, more serene and tender qualities compared to the other sections. And this shift also provides engaging cross-section contrast against the high-energy instrumental break that precedes it. Now, one of the interesting points to note about the bridge is that it possesses a similar vocal melody as the verse sections, and this is quite atypical in the top 10 of the Hot 100. Typically, the bridge will have a differentiated melody. So here, the accompaniments and the lyrics provide the departure, which is indicative of a bridge, while the similar melody heightens the memorability of the song as a whole. Now, following the bridge, we get to the third and last chorus in the song, and it features the same lyrics, vocals, and core accompaniment as the other chorus sections. The main difference is that there's some additional instruments that have been added to the mix, such as a tambourine, which prevents it from being a carbon copy repeat of the other chorus sections. Body like a back road, driving with my eyes closed. I know every curve like the back of my hand. Now, directly following the chorus, the song goes back into breakdown mode in the brief turnaround, which results in a lower energy level, and the last two lines from the chorus are repeated, but in a changed-up manner. So the main difference is that the lyric slow is prolonged compared to the way that it was sung before, and along with the change-up and accompaniment, provides engaging contrast that enables the excited and higher-energy outro to hit with increased perceived impact. I'm gonna take it slow. 
So now we get to the last section in the song, which is an outro. And in Q2, 84% of top 10 hits featured an outro in their framework. So it's a very popular way to bring a song to a conclusion. And Body Like a Backroads outro is really effective because it's the only section in the song that houses both the chorus vocal hooks and the main instrumental hook under one roof. So basically, it's like a hook recap at the end of the song that leaves the most infectious elements resonating in the listener's head. So the first half of the section features the first three lines from the chorus, but sung as background vocals, and it also features a reiteration of the got braids in our hairline from the first verse. And if you think about it, it's an interesting choice of lines to bring back because it has absolutely nothing to do with the body like a back road premise of the song. And the second half of the section reintroduces the main instrumental hook for the third time, which had previously been featured in the intro and the instrumental break. And while it features the same melody as the others, its timbre has been changed up to help keep it sounding fresh and engaging. Now, an important point to note about the instrumental hook is how it was strategically placed and developed throughout the course of the song. It was used in the intro to hook the listener in. It was reinforced midway through in the instrumental break, and it was featured in the outro to bring the song to a conclusion on a memorable note. And again, the manner in which its sound develops uh, throughout each occurrence helps to keep it sound fresh and engaging. So let's listen to each hook featured back to back so you could hear the differences. So that's what it's really all about, you know, and not just with hooks, but hit songs in general. It's about reinforcing key aspects of a song in the listener's head without them becoming overly monotonous in the process. And that's what Body Like a Back Road does so well. It's very memorable, but it's not overly redundant. It's kind of what you uh, mentioned last time you were here about Ed Sheeran, how it kind of takes all the main hooks, throws them out there at the end, and, and that's what you're left with, that, that impact. The hook fest. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other it's all thing, about the hook right, fest. <laughs> and the other thing that, that hits me, Dave, is how I feel like you, we mentioned so much pop and hip-hop. We're talking about this song, and it's you know we were saying it's a record-setting country, number one hit. I feel like yeah. the, the country element really comes in from from some of the lyrics, from, you know, Back Road, Boondocks. Like, that's kind of what keeps it country, because the rest of it, not, not a whole lot of traditional country. Well, and his vocal has a little bit of a southern drawl to it but also definitely you know like r&b influences right. as well and then you got the pedal steel and all those other influences that provide the country kind of embellishments but you know it's disguised as a mainstream pop song right yeah i and, wanted yeah i wanted to mention about the vocal because i thought that was like i guess when you're admittedly trying to sing the song it's kind of <laughs> funny because the chorus and the hook the main hook is very like you know sick like it's a very singer thing you have to sing it but mm -hmm. you know even when he performs the song live sometimes like some of those lines that it's kind of this weird sort of middle ground between like singing and like speaking especially especially the lines that he calls out where he's like what is the line it's oh <laughs> but i can turn them inside out i don't I need, need no, no help. help and yeah, the way yeah. like and that one in the first verse as well, the way, you know, when he, man, I almost fell about my chair. And, yeah. And 
Yeah, you're 100 percent right. Took yeah. him six yeah. weeks. It's like he he drops out of singing for a minute and kind of this weird middle ground. What's interesting? That's also a very big trend in hip hop in general now, because when we're trying to decipher, you know, whether it's singing or is it rapping, and it's like this kind of hybrid, right. you know, and like Drake, for example. Is he singing? Is he rapping? It's kind of like a hybrid of the two. It's like both. We talked about you know, like that. Like a monotone yeah. kind of yeah. thing, for, but, it has, but it has some, rap or not? Right, yeah. but it has some melody to it as well. So it's kind of like this unique hybrid compared to classic hip-hop, which is just you know straight-up rapping. So that's definitely a trend we've seen in hip-hop. And, of course, Sam Hunt, a big Drake fan, has yeah, covered yeah, a few yeah. songs of yeah, his in concert yeah. and everything. So yep. all coming together. Yep. So we keep seeing more of that too. Just the genres blurring, and and now we rap in hip hop, singing and, and rapping. It's all about fusion. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, easy to see why it's become such a big hit and and crossed over. I think that very really accessible. Why yeah. it's crossed over. So I mean, when you even when yeah. you played that clip of uh, of uh, Khaled at the beginning, mm-hmm. I, it just totally hit me how similar. I hadn't realized how that is how similar that is to Sam Hunt. Yeah, I mean, even just the basic snapping and all the. I mean, Bruno Mars obviously kind of a different thing, but <laughs> right, it right. Was, yeah. It was yeah, it was. Crazy how those songs take the same kind of it's core elements, of yeah, yeah. Exactly. and that you can, I mean, use the same elements and make completely different songs at the same time. Yeah, hundred percent. Yep. So we need a version of the chart beat theme song with snapping, with some snap, yeah. Yeah. some, some DJ mustard haze in the background. Too, right? <laughs> Get with it. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. As always, Dave, it, it's yeah. always so enlightening. It's so insightful to hear what's behind these hits, and, and no one does this like you guys do. Well, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. There'll Thank be more you hits. for having us. Absolutely. We'll have you back on. Sounds great. Thank you. I don't know if you were looking at me or not. You probably smile like that all the time. I don't mean to bother you, but I couldn't just walk by and not say hi. And I know your name because everybody in here knows your name. You're not looking for Old school right? Sam Hunt, sort of, right? Two years old. Sam Hunt, take your time. Go way back in the Sam Hunt catalog. At this point. Way back? So we're talking uh, Sam Hunt and uh, Body Like a Back Road. Easy to see when uh, we break it down like that with Hit Songs Deconstructed, how the song has become such a hit because in many ways it sounds like a lot of other hits. As, as, as interesting as it is on its own, it's got a lot of elements of other hits, yeah, in, bring... including uh, I'm the One. That was the one that really uh, surprised me. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously a lot of pop sensibilities out there and, you know, it goes to show, I mean, even though sort of has some some core country team there Shane McAnally as one of the co-writers you know it goes to show that people are really listening to other genres bringing in other influences and maybe some of these as we've seen in, in R&B and hip hop and pop and everything some of these genre walls are starting to, to break down a little bit and uh, I think the most important thing we mentioned you heard at the end how I said maybe we should incorporate some of these uh, production elements into the Chartbeat podcast theme song that we need maybe need to, to refresh the theme a little bit Okay. Ready for this uh, possible new version of the Chartbeat podcast theme song? Ooh, I'm scared. Now it's time for a shout-out to Gary. He needs a Coke to beat the heat this summer. So share a Coke with Gary. All he wants is to be famous and make it big. And now he kind of is. <laughs> what do you think, Trevor? Oh, my. We, we, we could also try this. This goes out to all the Trevors this summer, drinking an ice-cold Coke. So share a Coke with Trevor, because he's so glad his name is on a Coke. He even told his cat. Okay, first of all, first of all, um, shout out to our new sponsor, Coca-Cola. Um, we don't get anything for Drink for happiness. Coke. Yeah. You know, just free, free o- open a bottle of happiness here on the Chartbeat Podcast. <laughs> 
And also, where did like where did you stumble upon this? I got a press release that uh, Coca Cola. You know, they've been doing the names on the bottles. Yeah, they recent yeah. Uh, last summer before that. So now they've turned it into you go to buy dot dot com slash summer. All right. First of all, shout out to Coca Cola. When that website blows up and like crashes in the next week, we want to cut. Well, we did a story. I saw the press release. We did a story on Billboard.com. But then, because it, it's it's all based on, on music and how they're using uh, music for for uh, business. And uh, yeah, you can type. They already in, have they already have Taylor Swift as their like Diet Coke spokeswoman. What else do they need? They're uh, outsourcing it to everybody. I yeah. guess Pepsi's catching up. I guess. So uh, yeah. either of those versions, I I sort of like the first one better, but. Yeah, um, join us next week on the Charby Podcast when we, uh, hopefully on air, receive our cease and desist letter from Coca-Cola <laughs> using their uh, their jingle without permission. All right. Uh, take us back, Trevor. 1990. All right. And speaking of Coke, which- back, Do you know back in 1990, there was a really good Coke commercial. Do you remember who was in it at the time? Well, Gary, I wasn't alive, so I do not recall watching this. I will tell you. It was uh, Paula Abdul and Elton John. They had a really good uh, Coke jingle they did together. Really? <laughs> Sounds like a song uh, Healing Hands that he had in 1989. Total late 80s, very poppy. Paula and Elton, as this has become the Coca-Cola Sharpie podcast. This is, yes. Yep. Uh, product sponsored. Please uh, please make sure to drink responsibly. Drink refreshing. That's, that's more like what the Bud Light. <laughs> them too. Yeah. We need as many sponsors. <laughs> we'll like, take them all. Yeah. Look at the Coca-Cola Bud Light Quaker Oats Nestle. Like <laughs> – Anything General British? Mills. Pick up any British uh, sponsors? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, was, I was out there on a, on a recruiting trip. Okay, so what what is this song we just heard? Well, some people, if you weren't around then, uh, maybe it's a flashback for you if you were. Glenn Medeiros, She Ain't Worth It, featuring the one and only Bobby Brown, who was just coming off uh, you know, a hot solo album with Don't Be Cruel in uh, 1988-89. Song hits number one on the Hot 100 uh, around this time, back in 1990. Now, why are we bringing up Glenn Medeiros and Bobby Brown? Well, it's not just for some, some old-time nostalgia, but in fact... Uh, this song kicks off a trend that we have seen really ever since it came out, powering through the 2000s, and all the way to this week's Hot 100. What would that be? That is the rap-sung collaboration. This is one of the first songs to have a, a designated vocal part from right. Glamadero's little kind of dance upbeat songs. But about two-thirds of the way in the song, Bobby Brown comes in, raps this little verse. It's kind of crazy because what, what a concept that somebody had. Like, let's get... I mean, Bobby Brown isn't even a rapper, really. You right. know, he was a singer, but well, your rap was very get him on there. Yeah, you know, rap a couple of years earlier, uh, MTV uh, Yo MTV Raps had had just premiered, so rap was still very much its own genre. It didn't mix with other sounds. So you'd have rap hits, and a lot of it was sort of the the more novelty type 
rap, like Young MC and, and Tone Loke and that kind of stuff. So the idea of mixing rap into a song like this, just as you're saying, Trevor, really new at the time. Yeah, and, I'm, uh, and also the only kind of rap going out there is something that is really, you know, I guess people would say aggressive in your face, public enemy at the time. Right, the WA is about to expand. Right. Things that don't lend themselves really well to sort of this pop crossover exactly. hybrid. Right. And, I mean, that's that's something I think people hadn't, you know, obviously expressed before. And it worked. I mean, that was kind of the marriage that, that really has opened a lot of doors for a lot of people to make these crossover success. I mean, we see nowadays, um, I mean, through the 90s, it kind of worked out with, with Coolio and, and Gangsta's Paradise, some songs, certainly by the end of the decade. Not the first time that actually a, a featured billing was number one. It was actually the sixth number one. She ain't worth it. But it was it was sort of reasons why you look back at the others that had featuring. It was more uh, uh, breaking out a lead singer from a group. So it, back as far as 1964, Ragdoll, it was the four seasons featuring the sound of Frankie Valli. So it was more a way to kind of get the lead singer's name out there. Same thing, Partridge Family starring Shirley Jones featuring David Cassidy. Just a, a way to get people's names more at the forefront. Mm. Um, the very first actual uh, collaboration of a Hot 100 number one uh, on a song that had a, a featured group that was not part of the main group was uh, TSOP, The Sound of Philadelphia, MFSB, featuring The Three Degrees. That was an actual collaboration. Ah, uh, yeah. Also, shout out to those instrumental number ones. They used to be a thing back in the day. And then uh, only one other one before uh, She Ain't Worth It, Careless Whisper, uh, again, back to uh, making a name more prominent. But yeah, of course, when She Ain't Worth It comes out, really opens the door for a lot of people. I mean, now, of course, we see one of the big things that that, that song did is you got this dance song, you know, that's kind of fun and poppy, gives a, gives an edge, though, when Bobby Brown comes in with that hip hop element. And that's sort of the legacy that the song has opened up for a lot of acts down the road. You see a lot of collaborations where, you know, maybe a rapper is having a hard time breaking out of, of you know, sort of the urban market, as they might call it. You know, get him, get him on a song with a, with a pop singer. He can give a little verse. He gets a little more familiar out there in the mainstream. Same thing on the other side for singers. A lot of singers who are having trouble being taken seriously. I mean, even Beyonce had this problem when she first came out that some people thought after Destiny's Child, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't street enough. She didn't have enough cred. Um, she and Jay-Z team up. Jay-Z, obviously, I mean, street cred for days, miles, years, whatever measurement you want to call it, he's got it. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> again, going back to to what this song has done. And even now in Hot 100, we see plenty of rap song collaborations. I mean, all over. I mean, it's, Despacito. It's right. It's basically is a, it's such a go-to yeah. for, for, it's almost more common than it isn't at yeah. this point for pop music. And I mean, artists, you know, Rihanna, we've seen plenty of times with, she's been a go-to singer for a lot of these hooks and has helped her bridge a lot of genres, dance, pop, uh, hip hop as well. Right. You know, Mariah Carey and Jay-Z, Jay-Z needing that street cred, right. get him with Mariah Carey. Right. Mariah Carey even breaking out with the fantasy remix and before that, 95, helping ODB get on the map. Uh, so much so, I mean, it becomes such a big thing by the, the turn of the 2000s, especially when you have these sort of team-ups that become known for, you know, multiple rap song collaborations. You've got Ja Rule and Ashanti who've put out multiple songs together in that span. You've got Beyonce and Jay-Z, obviously, who keep collaborating and even become such a big thing that the Grammys add a rap song collaboration category in the 2000s as well. Right. So it becomes something that the industry is not looking at as a passing fad, but something that, you know, actually Completely is here to stay. Right. And I mean, here we are, you know, 2017, 27 years after that first one. And it's really showing no signs of slowing down. No love for Glenn Medeiros? I can talk about him. You know, we have to talk about Glenn because obviously he's, I mean, if not half, almost more than the song. So, uh, Gary, go ahead and go ahead and give us the Glenn recap. Well, back here. first of all, he was fairly known at that point, just for for one hit he had, but a big hit in 1987, 
Nothing's going to change my love for you. Remember that song? One of those songs where it fades out for a long time and it just keeps repeat it's one of those songs you could just loop for like an hour because it just keeps picking back at the when the chorus ends it sort of musically picks back up at the beginning and just sort of loops oh okay so it's one of the yeah there that was a huge thing back then to have like a four fade out chorus yeah. it would like loop 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 and then it kind of fade out right. and you're like oh okay like this song is ending now. Yeah, just really, really, really catchy. It was a hit in uh, in 1987, so 30 years ago at this point, uh, from Hawaii, like Bruno Mars. It's the Bruno Mars of his time. Just because they're from the same sure. the same rock, sure. <laughs> they're going to compare them. Why not? In that case, I'm the Beyonce of my time. I'm from Houston. And uh, I was looking for information. He's, uh, he's Dr. Medeiros now. He's actually, uh, as of 2015, he was a president of a school in uh, Honolulu. Really? Yeah. Okay, Glenn, look at that. I wonder if like his, his like, you know, students today like know know of his his musical upbringing, and most importantly, how he set off a trend in music history. Well, just like we had Paula Cole on the podcast a couple weeks ago, she's teaching younger uh, students now. So artists go on and uh, apply what they've learned. Well, Glenn is teaching. I'm sure students out there in Hawaii. He's also teaching us and the listeners here on the Chart Beat Podcast. Maybe if if no one else understood, at least hopefully he got all the math I did at the beginning of the show. Uh, I hope so. And hopefully you got a nice chunk of change for that, too. All right. Uh, that's uh, this week's podcast. Next week, uh, Sam Hunt, we were talking this week, Body Like a Back Row. We're going to stay in the country lane next week. Billboard's Nashville-based senior chart manager, Jim Asker, was actually yeah, today as we're taping this uh, here on Tuesday. He was chatting earlier today with Marin Morris and Sony Music Nashville head Randy Goodman all about uh, Marin's career so far. What a great uh, success uh, she's had with uh, Hero. Just had her first uh, number one uh, country airplay uh, chart, Craving You. So, and, and a woman in country is is rare at this point. She's still one of the few people cutting through. So really cool. We're going to hear some artist and executive insights uh, together, just like we had uh, Luke Bryan and Universal's Mike Dungan on a few weeks ago. So be sure to stay tuned for that next week. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what Marin has to say in particular about the question of women in country music. You know, it's a genre that really has championed their women for a long time and had a string of successful females going back to Loretta Lynn, Dolly Parton, Reba McIntyre, obviously Taylor, Carrie Underwood. So it'll be interesting to see um, how she responds to that and what's going on with some of the women who are having not as much success as they used to. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for that as well. Um, we'll be back next week, of course, to see if Despacito can make it to 11 weeks and climb one week closer to One Sweet Day. But in the meantime, we're going to leave you with She Ain't Worth It, number one hit for Bob Brown in 1990, second and last number one hit on the Hot 100. Let's go back a year before to his first number one, My Prerogative from the Don't Be Cruel album. Some of you guys may know this, younger listeners, uh, a song that Britney Spears actually remade in 2004. But here is the original from the one and only Boston's bad boy himself. Yeah. All right, so make sure you check this out, and we'll see you next week. Take it away, Bobby.
Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.